0: A focused summary of chapters forty-five to fifty-one of *Bug Jargal*. Pierrot and Dauverny plunged into the forest, with Rask bounding joyously before them. They arrived at a cave within which Dauverny saw a woman seated on a mat. It was Marie, still wearing her wedding dress. Recognizing her husband, she cried out, threw herself in his arms, and fainted. At the sound of her cry. Marie's nurse emerged from an inner chamber, carrying the baby that had been borne away by Rask. Pierrot threw some drops from the spring in Marie's face to revive her, and then, tortured by the reunited lover's caresses, he fled from the grotto. It was only then that Marie understood the truth. Pierrot loved her. That she had been ignorant was proof to Dauverny of the honor of his mistrusted friend. Dauverny was overcome by both happiness at having his friend restored to him, and guilt over having doubted him. Marie assured Dauverny that indeed he had been at fault. To save Marie, Pierrot had had to conceal her from both the blacks and the whites, and so had brought her to this solitary cave known only by him. During that frightful time, he consoled her by talking about Dauverny and promising she would be restored to him. Doverney, in turn, revealed to Marie that it was Pierrot who had spared him beneath her window and serenaded her at the pavilion. Marie could only marvel at this news, given the respect with which he had treated her and the tenderness with which he spoke of Doverney. Doverney felt a deep regret for his cruel treatment of this noble-hearted man. At that moment, Pierrot returned with the look of a martyr, but still with an air of triumph. He pointed to the dagger in Dauverny's belt, saying he had spared Dauverny's life, and now he asked that Dauverny take his own away. Instead, Dauverny cast himself at Pierrot's feet and pleaded for his forgiveness. After only a moment's struggle, Pierrot opened his arms to Dauverny and asked if he could now call him brother. Dauverny's only reply was to cast himself on Pierrot's breast. Both of them, Pierrot said, were guilty, but while Dauverny was now happy, he would be unhappy forever. With an expression of deep grief, Pierrot told Dauverny his history. His father was the king of Kakongo. They were happy and powerful, until the Europeans came and promised Pierrot's father far greater territories than those he ruled. He followed them with his family— and they were sold into slavery. As he spoke, Pierrot's eyes flashed fire. The children were separated from their parents, and the parents from each other, and this family of a man who was once a king were forced to toil as slaves and sleep with the dogs. The next time Pierrot saw his father, he was on the wheel. Pierrot's wife had been prostituted and killed, and he expressed both his desire for vengeance and his guilt over having betrayed her by loving another. While Pierrot was in prison, Rask brought messages from his people asking him to avenge them. When he left the prison, he discovered that all his children were dead. Pierrot asked Overney what he would have done, and the threatening gesture he made in reply told Pierrot that he would have done the same. The slaves rose in revolt and chose Pierrot for their chief. Pierrot went to Acule, determined to save the survivors of Dauverny's family. He found Marie surrounded by blacks preparing to kill her, and he demanded that they leave her to him. He and Rask bore her away with her baby brother to the cavern. Such was his crime. Dauverny again wanted to throw himself at Pierrot's feet, but Pierrot stopped him and said they must go, because the retreat was not safe, and because, he said mysteriously, Bugjargal was not free. Dauverny asked Pierrot what that had to do with him, and in reply he proclaimed, "I am Bugjargal." Daubigny had thought nothing about this extraordinary man could surprise him, and now he learned that he was both a king and a courageous leader. Daubigny asked what he had meant when he said he was not free. Bugjargal answered that he had been a prisoner and he was told by the guards that if he escaped, ten men would be killed in his place. He had nevertheless fled to save Dauverny from execution, and now he must return to save his ten comrades. Only then did Dauverny recall his own promise, and the happiness of his reunion with Marie was swept away by the memory of his duty to Biasu. He had given his word that he would return before sunset, and he would not compromise his honor. Placing one hand in each of theirs, Doverny told Bugjargal that he was entrusting Marie to his care. Marie was seized with terror, and trying to protect her from the truth, Doverny whispered in Bugjargal's ear that he had promised to die. Bugjargal would not accept that a simple promise could bind Doverny to the brigand Biasu, but Doverny said he had given his word of honor. Defying Doverny's efforts to conceal the truth from Marie, And sacrificing his own love for her, Bugjargal called upon Marie to help him convince Dauverny not to leave them. Dauverny said he must, but that they would meet again in heaven. Marie fainted, and Dauverny placed her in the arms of Bugjargal, whose eyes were filled with tears. He begged Dauverny to explain to him how he could bear to give her up, and Dauverny answered only, Honor. Bugjargal declared that the signal of Dauverny's death would be answered by the volley that announced his own. Hardly heeding these words, Dauverny pressed a kiss on Marie's pale face, and fled. Dauverny dashed through thickets and savannas until he reached the camp of Biasu, where he felt he had reached the end of his journey, and of his life. This was the cruellest of his many misfortunes, that he must renounce his own life just when it appeared most sweet. He was free, he was happy, and he must die. Entering the valley with rapid step, Dauverny presented himself at the Negro outpost, where, ironically, he had to entreat the guards to let him in. He was led before Biasu, who pointed to his instruments of torture and said that Leogri had been lucky, only to be hung. Dauverny, impassive, did not reply. Then Rigaud entered, agitated, and whispered some words in Biasu's ear. Rising, Biasu informed his men that the whites were planning an attack, and he instructed them how to mount their defense. He ordered the soldiers of the Mourne Rouge to form the rear guard, and then he whispered to Rigaud that if they died, so would their chief, Bugjargal. Rigaud remarked that they ought to send the dispatch and stop the advance of the whites, and Biasu renewed his request of Dauverny that he rewrite it in the style of the Whites. But Doverny again refused, saying that he did not desire to protect his own life if it meant also saving Biassou's. Laughing, Biassou told him he was right to refuse, because despite his promises, he would not have allowed Doverny to live. Pointing to the black flag in the corner of the grotto, Biasu told Dauverny that it would serve as the signal of his death. Then, laughing, he told him to bid good night to Leogri. The negroes dragged Dauverny away, with the Obi following. Dauverny followed his guards to a little valley, which, under any other circumstances, would have been enchanting, with its spangled lakes, flourishing thickets, and perfumed soil. He was led into a vault in which could be heard the dull roar of a torrent. The obi whispered to him that while they two entered the vault, only one would depart it. They reached a platform fringed with trees and gilded by the rays of sun that penetrated its vaulted ceiling. At one end, the torrent fell with a frightful noise into a deep abyss, and over this precipice hung an old tree, whose knotty roots pierce the rock below the brink.